DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now continue our conversation on Mansion 6, Chapter 3, Part 3. Sometimes you go into one room, you find yourself in, with the elements of another mansion. Is it possible, Anthony, that you may, early in your spiritual life, receive something like this from God? And it, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're in the sixth mansion about to enter into that union of heart, but it's enough of an encouragement. Am I stating that properly? A locution can happen sometimes uh, earlier in your spiritual life, uh, maybe at a moment you were particularly uh, fervent. And so the Lord spoke the locution. Let's say you backslid. Little beginning of the spiritual life you made kind of fell in disaster and then a few years later or whatever, the Lord picks you back up and you start going. And all of a sudden, that word that he gave you 10 or 15 years before, you become aware of it again. And this time when you become aware of it, you see more aspects to it than you saw way back when. And, And in a way, as you grow spiritually mature, that word, if it's a genuine word from the Lord, it's content, its richness kind of discloses itself more and more over time. And it becomes a source of direction in your life, always with working with your spiritual director and so forth. But it's like a a foothold that doesn't give way. Um, And so how do you account for that kind of experience? Well, it's just what you just said. Sometimes the Lord leads, allows a soul that is just beginning the journey to come into the inner chambers and to get so close to them. And the reason why he does that is he wants to give them something. He knows that they're going to struggle. He knows there's going to be per- terrible battles and that they're going to fall flat on their face. And so he wants to give them something that no matter how hard they've fallen, when they get back up and they follow him again, they won't be discouraged, but they'll keep on reaching for more. They'll stay focused on who he is. That indeed does happen. Uh, probably more often than we think this has happened in the lives of people around us. It, so it's mysterious the way the Lord works. And so so it is kind of a ladder that you can go up and down. I guess you could look at that. Or for Teresa of Avila, these dwelling places that are closer and closer to the center where Jesus is. But sometimes in these dwelling places, we actually dwell there. And sometimes we visit. And if the Lord gives you the privilege of visiting deep into the heart and to come very close to him. It's usually he's giving you a grace that you will need to suffer trials so that no matter what happens, you'll be able to continue to make progress afterwards. 
And those graces are, are magnificent things. So whether you're visiting or dwelling in a place, there's always blessings. How consoling that is. <laughs> I mean, really. Also, she would say the second reason is that often the person was not thinking of what is heard. Usually unexpected. Mm-hmm. It will be a, a phrase or maybe it's a, a seeing something in, within one's mind. But it's it's uh, it doesn't it's not something that you would normally unnecessarily even say yourself. Am I correct yeah. in that? Yeah, we, we talked about this a little earlier in the conversation, but this is what I mean that the word of the Lord is astonishing or it's not what you expect him to say. It, it's not something that you anticipate he's going to say. He really is another person quite outside yourself and not a projection of your own big fat ego. <laughs> and so he has, he has a certain freedom to say what he's going to say when he's going to say and how he's going to say it. And these locutions carry, have a character of that about them. They surprise you. And at the same time, they surprise you. They also reassure you. They convict you of sin. And at the same time, unveil God's irrevocable love for you. And all of this, all at once, uh, that's what I mean, that they're so rich with meaning. I would just say, and not that I can claim that I've had so many or whatever that is, but I have noticed that, that sometimes when it, when you know it's of the Lord, it could be a conviction. Like, oh, okay. But you don't feel accused. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't feel it, there's a peace and a calm that comes with it. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And it's like, Boom. It makes you almost take a right angle. Whoa. But there's a peace that comes with it. And I think that's, that needs to be remembered. And she'll go on with these different reasons to, and you've touched on so many of these already that, you know, the the importance that you, you're called to just listen. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're dumbstruck. A phrase will come out and you're, and she says that in number 22, the smaller paragraph 22 in this chapter, that you don't have to work at it. It's not like you have to one word after the other. It's just just somebody spoken to you. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like that, right? So what you're learning, part of the spiritually being woken up, is you're learning how to be surrendered and vulnerable to what the Lord wants to do the way he wants to do it. And you're, you're learning not to self-generate things. And so this is quite a different experience of prayer. Early in the spiritual life, you were trying to arouse your devotion and you were engaged in acts of uh, prayer to try to wake yourself up out of your spiritual lethargy. That spiritual lethargy was the spiritual lethargy due to sin and indifference towards God. And you're trying to not be indifferent anymore. In this spiritual lethargy, God has lulled your uh, powers into a kind of um, a sleep before a resting before his presence. And now he wants to wake them up to love. And one of the ways he wakes them up to love is through these interior locutions. He wants to fire our imagination and our intellect. He wants our senses to begin to perceive the way he works. So he'll speak to us in our ears. And we become more docile and surrendered and vulnerable to his promptings. And so in the, the locutions, their astonishing character um, uh, that sobers us, and reassures us all at the same time, fills us with joy at the same time uh, as pierces our heart, all of this all at once, um, that the Lord is 
is helping us enter into a deeper and, and you could say more awake uh, surrender of faith. Yeah, it, it, she goes on. The fourth reason I think is, is is really telling. A single word has a meaning to it that you you may not even be able to explain at all. It's just a word, and you know one of the most profound locutions, if I can say that, or uh, that interior hearing was when Saint Francis before the cross in San Damiano. Francis, rebuild my church. You talk about the depth of meaning on that. I mean, so he did it. But then when you look look at the, what happened, the, the deeper, deeper sense of that is an ocean bigger than we can even imagine crossing, isn't it? Yeah. And there's also the development. So we've talked about this a little bit, but in the case of St. Francis, when he first heard the words, go rebuild my church, he thought Jesus was asking him to take a physical stone and put it back on the wall at St. San Damiano and mm-hmm. to actually uh, the Porciuncula, you know, to begin to just physically build churches. And so that's what he did. He and his early friars dedicated themselves to re physically rebuilding, constructing churches. But um, only after he'd engaged in that in a little while, and as he went deeper into prayer, he realized there was a deeper meaning. And that's, that's what I mean that these words from the Lord are so meaningful. They contain meanings that you can spend a whole lifetime unpacking. And just a, a very simple phrase, you know, go rebuild my church, has layers and layers and layers of riches in it, inexhaustible riches. And they are only gradually unpacked and only gradually do you know how to respond. And what was St. Francis's way of responding? He responded first with what he understood was meant. And to be sure, he submitted this to the local bishop. This is what I think the Lord's calling me to do. Bishop said, go, go do it. And so he did it. And then later when he realized that it's not just simply rebuilding the church physically, but spiritually, he brought that to his bishop again. And the bishop said, yes, do that. Start preaching. So Francis went on this journey of rebuilding the church. It wasn't what he thought. The word never changed. But what he thought the word meant in the beginning and what the word came to mean uh, as, he, as he grew and developed um, uh, became uh, uh, something that he could have never anticipated. Yeah, I think that's why it, it's important that after you've received whatever this is to write it down and to bring it to your confessor, spiritual director, a good spiritual friend at the very, very least, but to... And let it go and see what God does with that. It, it, would I be wrong in approaching it that way? In my experience, it, I suppose it's good to, to write it down. But as we were saying before, I wouldn't try to write it down while it's being given. Right, uh, right. Uh, I, but in my experience, you, you don't normally even have to write it down. It just kind of sticks with you. Now, if you go to your spiritual director and you say, you know, I felt like the Lord was telling me this. And your spiritual director said, you know, Anthony that's really important. Write that down. Well, right. that's different. Now I'm under obedience. I've got to write it down and, okay. and return to it every once in a while. But I kind of believe that you approaching these things with a certain kind of sober suspicion is called for until your spiritual director or confessor or a good spiritual friend tells you to do otherwise. Now, we've spent probably more time on this particular chapter than we have all the other chapters in the interior castle. 
I think it's so important, Anthony. But I, I can't leave this without asking the obvious question that, well, I, it seems obvious to me. I think many people would ask this. So what about those who seem or at least claim to be someone who's receiving locutions and writing very lengthy tomes? I mean that in all reverence. I'm not questioning their authenticity. That's not for me to do. It's for the church. But how should we approach those types of experiences? Because that's the, the term locution is often associated with those writings. Yeah. So there's two basic kinds. The, the first kind are those that are approved by the church. And the second are the ones that are not yet approved by the church or not approved by the church. And so the ones that have been approved by the church, the, the church is saying there's something here to be gained from. And so they're good to read. And so, for example, Catherine of Siena's locutions that she received from God the Father, those beautiful dialogues are not the self-generated constructions of an overreactive religious imagination. It's something that God the Father actually spoke to her about his son. And we can read those today and be edified by them. Or the Shivyas by uh, Hildegard of Bingen, uh, she received direct words from the Lord. She wasn't in any particular state of consciousness. They just came to her, and so she wrote them down. And likewise, even in the writings of Patrice of Avila, sometimes you'll find um, her exhorting the soul or praying to Jesus. And the word has a power in it, and it's something that she received from the Lord in prayer. I believe that the poetry of St. John of the Cross are were inspired by by um, uh, by angels who spoke to St. John the Cross while he's in prison. And come, he was conversing with angels and this beautiful poetry came out. I believe in his native poetic genius. I believe in, you know, that there are all kinds of natural gifts involved in his poetry. But I also think there are genius insights that came from heaven through his poetry. People can disagree with me. The church hasn't ruled on that one way or another. Again, Hildegard of Wingen in her Symphonia. What is the Symphonia? These are songs that she heard being sung in heaven. And so she shares them with us. So, so all of those things can be edifying for faith. There are other things, though, that the church has questions about. If the church has raised questions, isn't settled, I wouldn't use those to feed uh, as the main food for my, my own personal prayer. I might look at them, see if there's profitable things in them, and try to understand why the church hasn't approved it yet. Uh, so it's not like you're dealing with something intrinsically evil, unless the church says don't read it. You know, if there's uh, that this is if there's an official ruling that this is a diabolical or something like that, then stay away from it, or that it has error, then stay away from it. But if the church hasn't said one way or another, it just hasn't made up its mind and hasn't yet given its approval, you might approach those with a lot of caution and gain something good from them. But if the if the church has ruled that there's heresy in it, then I wouldn't indulge it. It's not worth your time. There's other better things to read and that will be more edifying for you, uh, whether it's the writings of Anne Catherine Emmerich or uh, St. Mary uh, Agreda, Agreda, Faustina, um, St. Faustina uh, Kowalska. These are all writings that you can spend a lifetime in and never exhaust. Um, 
but uh, but other things uh, uh, I would be more careful of if the church hasn't given its formal approval. For example, a lot of people like the writings of Vasula Raidan. I still go back and forth because I've seen some edifying things there, but the church has not given its approval and she's not Catholic. And so I'd be very cautious of Vasula Raidan, not because I don't think the Lord speaks to her or through her, but there's ambiguity there. And, and, and so I can't recommend that. The other one is this uh, writing, I can't remember who it's by, but the, the poem of the God man. I've heard people be very, very edified by portions of those books. But again, I've never seen official ecclesiastical approval. And so I'd be very cautious about recommending that to somebody. I think that's very wise. Any uh, final thoughts as we close out this chapter, Anthony? Well, we live at a time where there's a lot of locutions going on and, and things that are get promulgated all over the place. We live at a time where there's been an abundance of Marian apparitions all over the world. And so this particular chapter, I think, is a useful for yourself in discerning that. For those of you who want a better book for discerning these proliferation of Marian apparitions all over the the world and the church. Uh, Father Benedict Rochelle wrote mm -hmm. a book called The Still Small Voice. And uh, and that book represents uh, principles by a certain Father Poulain and that uh, that are are good for these kind of locutions that are meant for the building up of the whole church. Teresa Avila, her principles here kind of apply there, but she's mainly writing for souls that are trying to advance with union to God. And so normally uh, the words that are given are, are words for the building up of that soul or words for the direction of acts for that particular soul. And only rarely does it have to do with the direction of acts of, of others. That's kind of the limits of this text. It's not the perfect text for trying to discern everything that's going on in the church. I, I would go to a, a still small voice by, by Father Benedict Rochelle. Uh, for that. But, but for this, if you're experiencing things in prayer, there's a lot of beautiful things to read here. Thank you for that with Father Groeschel. I, re I read that years ago, and that was so helpful. That really is an outstanding work, Anthony. He was a great spiritual giant, and I miss him. Chris, thank you for uh, this opportunity to share these things. I, I hope it's uh, edifying for everybody. Uh, but for me personally, to be able to read this material and reflect on it with you has been has been a great help spiritually. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. And guess what? We're not done yet. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, Anthony. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you'll find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.